Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. As Kara always says, it depends. How we talk to our kids about puberty depends on who the kid is and also who we are. There is no one way to skin a cat Sorry, is that a really gross idiom to use in this context? Yes. Sorry. There really is no one way to talk to a kid about puberty. And so often we hear from parents, how do I do this? What do I say? How do I talk about this subject or that subject? And the truth is the answer can so often be, it depends. But you're not listening to the puberty podcast to hear... It depends. (laughs) You're here to get answers and guidance. So it does depend. But we're going to break down for you in this episode some ways to get into a conversation with your kids based upon your kid and yourself. Because it depends on who our kids are at any given moment and who we are at that given moment. So let's give our character types, right? Here's our casting list for the adults in these conversations. Because adults communicate differently. Different adults communicate differently. Different adults are coming to the conversation about puberty and adolescence from their own pasts and their own stories and their own experiences. 
And by the way, just as kids are not static creatures who never change, adults are not static creatures who never change. We are also capable of change and development in our own ways. So, Cara, when we think about who the adults are, and I will start with one type because it's a type, one of the types I most identify with, let's call that parent the eager beaver. The super eager parent who wants to give their child the kitchen sink of puberty talks and conversations and are like so excited to dive in that they are going like whole hog on the conversation. What would your guidance be for someone like me? What is your guidance to that parent who's just like, let's spend three hours talking about puberty? Okay. Well, I always like to use the example of a young child, maybe a kindergartner or first grader who has just gotten off the school bus and comes home and says, mom, dad, where did I come from? Mm -hmm. Like, can you tell me about the whole origin story of me? Those aren't their words. (laughs) But the super eager parent jumps into sometimes a beautiful description about the special hug and the love (laughs) and the egg and the sperm and the baby. And sometimes it's about the penis or the vagina, or sometimes it's about the in vitro experience, or sometimes it's about the adoption process. And really that's not what the kid is asking. I mean, maybe that's what the kid is asking. But until you ask what your kid is asking, Mm -hmm. the super anxious parent cannot really answer the question because they are so anxious and excited, good anxious. Mm -hmm. They're so excited to tell the entire story of life that they don't really know what their kid wants to know. So for the super anxious parent um, or the super eager, I want to get the word anxious out of there. For the super eager parent, the answer to any question is... That is such an interesting question. What makes you ask me? Mm -hmm. What makes you think of that? Mm -hmm. Because that way you can narrow down what they want to know. And the reason why you want to do that is too much is too much. Right. It's not that this is bad information. It's just that it's going to wash over. And we've all had the parenting experiences, whether we're eager or not, where we have a child and we are going to give them the whole kit and caboodle. And about five seconds into it, they glaze over and they are no longer with us. Don't lecture. <laughs> Don't lecture. Don't dump it all That's on right. them. Don't back up the truck. No matter how eager you are. No matter how eager and how much love and how much excitement, because it they will not be able to take it in. So For the super eager parent and really any other parent, the guide is find out where the question is coming from. Find out where you are meeting your kid. And know that you're going to get to have about a million conversations over the years with your kids. And so you don't have to do it all right now. Right. It's not one talk. It is not one talk. I'm going to make that t-shirt. Okay. So what, Vanessa, what do you do if you're the nervous parent? Mm. If you're... You're just, you're just, that's where anxious comes in, right? Yeah. The the parents were just really skittish about any and all of this. What's your advice? Right. So the nervous parent or the anxious parent to have this talk, maybe someone who themselves wasn't raised talking about 
puberty, adolescence, genitalia, any of those things. It may come from that. It may come from a nervousness that they don't feel super knowledgeable and they're worried about imparting incorrect information to their child. They may be a really private person and they might be worried that if they open the door to these conversations, their child is going to ask them private or personal questions that they don't feel comfortable answering, right? So there are a lot of reasons why someone might be nervous to have this conversation. And what I love is when, as parents, we can say to our kids, that's a great question. And you know what? I'm actually kind of nervous to talk to you about it. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny that adults get nervous, right? So when our five-year-old gets off the bus, there's nothing better to a five or six or seven-year-old if you turn to them and you say, guess what? I'm really nervous right now. It's like you just made their day. So the first thing is to acknowledge that we're feeling nervous. If we're nervous because we don't know the answer to their question, guess what? We get to say, I'm not sure. Let's find out together. Or I'm not sure. Let me circle back with you later tonight and we can talk about it, right? You do not have to answer your kid's question in that exact moment. You have permission to say, I don't know. You have permission to say, I'm not sure. You have permission to say, let's find out together, right? You are not omniscient and you do not need to pretend to be omniscient for the sake of your children. There are also nervous parents who are nervous because they're afraid that their own personal history Mm. is going to undermine Mm -hmm. the way they want to raise their children. So the best example is not the five-year-old getting off the school bus. It's a teenager Mm -hmm. who comes to a trusted adult and asks them about drug use or drinking or sex. Questions that you will 100% get from your child at some point. So it's never too early to start thinking about how you want to frame those answers. It's really hard for a lot of parents who have experimented in their past and who feel that they don't want to lie to their kids, but they also don't want to endorse experimentation at a very young age for a whole host of reasons. And so how does that parent get past their nervousness there? And what I tell parents is that I think it's very, very fair for them to say, if a teenager looks at them point blank and asks them a question, lying is your biggest enemy Mm -hmm. in, in raising children. Because once you have been found out as a liar, the trust is gone. Yeah, yeah. And how are they coming back to you and trusting you with right. anything else? Right. So if you, if your truthful answer is something that you're nervous about sharing with your child, then tell them, I'm nervous about sharing this information with you. These are the reasons why I made these choices. This is why I'm nervous about sharing it with you. Or I'll give you an alternative. When my daughter a couple of years ago, I don't know, she's probably like 11, said to me, Hey, mom, can I ask you a question? Of course, the answer is always yes, you can ask me a question. She said, how old were you when you lost your virginity? And, you know, I was sort of taken aback and I knew immediately it didn't feel, even as someone like me who can be a little bit of an oversharer sometimes, um, and we'll get to that character type in the cast list in a second, I knew 
I, I didn't want to share that information with her at this stage of her development. And I said, I want you to know you can always ask me any question. I'm so glad you felt comfortable asking me that question, right? Validate, validate, validate. Leave the door open. I said, however, that's actually something private to me and I don't feel comfortable answering that question right now. I might feel comfortable answering that question when you are older. But I want you to know you can always ask me a question. I may choose not to answer it at that time, but you should always feel free to come and ask me. And she was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to come back and ask you that question (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) And that was it. She wasn't angry. She wasn't hurt. She wasn't offended. I didn't feel like I had violated my sense of privacy. Because what you did is you followed this great cardinal rule of parenting that without apologizing, you explained why. Right. Right. And if you take anything from this podcast, the best lesson to take is that whenever you explain something to your kid, if you give a rationale for why you're saying what you're saying, the rule you're setting, the answer or non-answer you're giving, if you give a rationale, they can then wrap their brain around it. And I was modeling for her, not consciously, but looking back, what it looks like to set your own boundaries and to keep some things private. And in a world where kids feel an enormous amount of pressure to reveal all, and often are pressured to reveal not just information, but photos of themselves or things like that, I was showing her what it looked like to say, you know what, some things are private and I'm going to keep this private. Um, But you did describe yourself as an oversharer. That's our next archetype. So what shall we say, oversharer, to the other oversharing parents who, it's different from being eager. Right. Right. Eager is, I, I want to, I want to, I want to. Right. Oversharer is once the door is open just an inch, it gets cracked way open. Right. right. The floodgates open. And yes. by the way, what we are pushing through those floodgates is maybe not entirely appropriate information. Yes. Which sometimes we recognize before we say it, and sometimes maybe we don't. So for the oversharers of whom I, would consider myself part of that group sometimes. And my husband would probably consider me part of that group like 90% of the time. (laughs) And I might consider you their fearless leader. (laughs) Yeah, my English husband, I should say. So for oversharers, I would say, first of all, we got to leave our baggage at the door. And we do a whole episode about leaving our baggage at the door, which means our journey is not our kid's journey. And sharing all the details and the nitty-gritty ins and outs of our journey is not a great way to love and support kids through their own journeys in puberty. And if you find yourself offering up your own stories for good or for bad, joyful or difficult, over and over with your children, that should be a signal to you that you feel the need to tell those stories, but you need to remind yourself your kids should not be the receptacle for those stories. Find a friend, a partner, a loved one, a sibling, a therapist, and share those stories with those people, but not your child. So the first thing is leave your baggage at the door. The second thing is take a moment, take a breath. We love breathing. We love deep breathing here on the Puberty Podcast. And just think, is this something that's private or is this something that should be shared? What is it going to feel like to my kid 
or this kid that I'm coaching or teaching to hear this information about me? And will it irrevocably change their perception of who I am and whether I am a trustworthy adult? And the last one is, is this really appropriate information for your kid to hear at this time? Are they able to really understand what you're telling them, what the terminology is, what the activities were, what the experience is? And if you're wondering if it's appropriate, it's probably not appropriate. (laughs) You are the opposite, Kari. You are not an oversharer. You have much more self-control than I do. My kids would find this so amusing. I can't (laughs) even tell you. (laughs) I'm like a bronze medalist in oversharing and you are a gold medalist in oversharing. If there was like a platinum category, I would like, (laughs) I I would have a platinum medal. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a family of oversharers. The model for me, my mother was an oversharer and I, you know, am sometimes following that. So you're a bronze medalist and but oversharing. I'll, but I'll take on the silent type, which is the other member, the the fourth of our five cast members of adults. And the silent type of parent is the parent who undershares, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is maybe is just not chatty by nature. Right. Um, and is not a talker. Maybe the undersharer just thinks that being a listener is more helpful. I'm married to a fabulous listener. God bless. I mean, he's amazing, but he's such a good listener that sometimes it's a really long way into the conversation before Does he, he forgets to talk. <laughs> sometimes. Now, the beauty of the silent type is when a sentence comes out mm-hmm. of his mouth, everyone in the room is like, whoop, let's Stop listen the to presses. exactly what he has to say. So it better be good. And it usually is. Right. But for some people who are silent, they're not going to get there either. And so I have written a lot about how quiet parents can communicate effectively Mm. with their kids. It's not always verbally. Right. It really isn't. So what are some examples? So I have kids who, I I don't have kids, I know kids because my kids are talkers, but I know many kids who will journal back and forth Mm -hmm. with their parents. I love that. It's great. And it doesn't have to be an official book, although I love the idea of having the book later, but it can be a post-it note. It can be a scrap piece of paper. It can be... But it's a, the question I have, and then the answer the parent writes back. Right. It can be text. There's another very effective form of communication between silent parents who often have silent kids, but not always. And that is forwarding articles or yeah. forwarding content through email, through yeah. text, because it shows them what you are trying to communicate, even if it's written by someone else. Or you can watch content together yeah. that hits what you want to say. So there are so many ways to communicate that are not the two of you sitting in a room having a mind meld, right? right? And it can feel just as satisfying and fulfilling and be just as helpful to the kid in the room if the communication style works. Some of the best conversations I've had with my teenagers in my home have been over text over the course of a day. They are rich and interesting and open and honest. We are vulnerable. We are expressive. Another great way is not just articles, but my kids love sending me TikToks that often make fun of me in good natured and hilarious ways, or I'll send them Instagram posts that get at stuff we've talked about. 
Um, using humor is so powerful and we, we don't need to be the generators of the humor. That's we right. can use other people's humor to get at stuff. So I know that social media gets demonized and text gets demonized in our culture, but I will tell you as the parent of four tweens and teens, and Cara, you will agree with me on this, it is actually such a great way to stay connected to our kids, particularly as they go back out into the world and we're not with them 24-7 as we were in lockdown when they're living their lives as they should be. It's great shorthand. And it's great for them too. I'll tell you a funny little side note story, which is that my daughter is currently obsessed with the Netflix show Formula One. Which I'm totally going to watch now. It's amazing. And actually, I think it's a really nice metaphor for puberty because you just ride the high highs and low lows of these drivers who basically have just finished puberty. And they're just they're going in circles around one little track, which is around a great around. metaphor. Yeah. But she is so into it that she who never wakes up on a weekend in a single digit number, uh, because that's when she catches up on her sleep. And, you know, at 17, I think it's completely appropriate if she's got the time to sleep in over the last couple of weekends has been waking up at 5.30, 5.45 a.m. <gasps> to watch these races live. Oh my God. And I could not understand what was going on. And she actually just the other day showed me a TikTok of a girl. And the TikTok was the girl waking up, the alarm clock said 5.45 a.m. Mm -hmm. And the text over it said, me on Sunday morning and my mom going. And then there's a picture of a mom going, what? Right. And then the next image is the girl at 6 a.m. is watching the start of the race. And she's like, you know, basically Formula One, baby. Right. And it was my daughter's way of communicating to me, I am not the only one. Right. And this is a form of normal. And I thought that was so much more impactful than a conversation around it. Than a conversation. It. She's it saying, was, I know you're mystified. That's right. And here's how I'm going to explain it exactly. to you. Exactly. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. 
And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. 
So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? We do have one last archetype of adult that overlaps with some of these groups, but I think it's a really important adult to mention, and that's the... I never did this type. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the parent who never had conversations in their home when they were growing up. Those parents, as they got older, maybe they became great communicators. Maybe they are less verbal communicators, although still maybe great communicators. They might be nervous. They might be eager. But they feel like they don't have the foundation to do this. Right. And I think that when I speak to parent audiences... I would say well north of half, sometimes as many as 75 or 80% of the audience will say, I didn't have these conversations in my house and I don't feel equipped. And so to that parent, I say, welcome. Right. It's really great that you are trying to figure out how to talk to your kids. This is a different world. This is a positive evolution. And if you begin to understand the different archetypes of the kids, then you can figure out how best to communicate with the child that you know. Parents know their kids best, better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so as we walk through the different types of kids next, those parents who don't feel that they have the foundational skills, you'll feel better in this conversation because you're going to recognize that it doesn't matter if you didn't do it in your home when you were growing up, you can do it now. Yeah. And this is true for parents. It's true for trusted adults of all types. Yeah. Um, So you can rewrite the story. You can rewrite the story. And I just want to say two things, which we will revisit at the end, which is it's never too late to start. It's never, ever too late to start. So if you haven't been doing it already, having these conversations you can start now and that's totally fine. And, and we'll talk about this probably on every single episode we ever record, you always get a do-over. So if you tried and you messed up, which you will, and you will have already messed up, just do it again. Try it again. Take a do-over. Tell your kid you're taking a do-over. Tell them how and why you messed up and move on. Right. Because what you can see from all these personality types is there's no best type. These are just different descriptions. types. That's right. Okay. So let's start with a character type that you and I don't We're relate doing kid to. characters. These are now kid Kids. characters. Because like we did the adult cast list. This is the kid right, cast list. Right. Because the communication goes two ways, right? So we got the adult. Ideally. Right. Yes. Ide- yes. Ideally. Conversation is. So this is the first kid type okay. that Car and I don't relate to at all in the slightest. <laughs> and this is our know-it-all. This is. <laughs> I've never been deemed someone who is a know-it-all. I can't imagine. The know-it-all is the kid. You can't tell them anything they don't already know. They know everything. 
and they seem like they are not available to listen to your information or advice. What do we do, Cara? Okay. So the first thing is, I think there are two subtypes of know-it-alls. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I think it's got a very negative connotation, the know-it-all. And as someone who may or may not have been accused of being a know-it-all at some point in her life, Mm -hmm. I think for many kids, it is not, the, the negative connotation is not really what prevails. It's really these kids are so hungry for the knowledge and they are often oversharers, right? Right. They're, they're sort of budding oversharers. So <laughs> they've got it and they're going to project it right back as opposed to the know-it-all who's, the, I think the minority is sort of that, that grading personality of, I really know it all. And they don't. Right. And, and that's their way of asking the yes, question. Yes. I think that's right? a really important point. Yeah. So two subtypes, but the way you approach them is the same. Usually they know very little. <laughs> this is right. critical. Right. <laughs> this is critical for parents to recognize. And sometimes they know something amazing. Mm. And so if we are having conversations with our kid and our kids happen to fall into the know-it-all category, it becomes epically invaluable to distill out the piece of information that they've got that is right on and that is going to help you communicate with them down the road in the future and the many pieces of information they have wrong. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? You listen to the know-it-all because the know-it-all will speak over you anyhow if you talk. Right. So what I tend to do in situations where a kid is really knowledgeable and wanting to share it is I will prompt them with a question or a statement. And then I will just sit and listen. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go on forever, even though sometimes it feels like it it feels like it does. (laughs) But when you, you may need to stop it at a certain point, but when they're done, then you want to prove that you have listened. This Mm -hmm. is very, very valuable to a kid who thinks they know everything. Mm -hmm. Cherry pick the thing. It's like, you know, when we're at work and you always get praise before you get your correction. Yeah, the sandwich. Yes. So first pick the thing that they got right on. Right. That was great. That was amazing. You, you know, said X, Y, and Z, and that was so interesting. And frankly, sometimes it is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, you know, this thing that you said about such and such, I'd love to know where you got that information because my understanding is that it doesn't work that way. Right. Or I read that it's A, B, and C. Right. Or... I'm thinking maybe that piece of information is a little bit off. If you go too aggro at the know-it-all, they will not receive the information. They will shut down. Correct. Right. So we want to clarify when something is off, but we don't want to clarify that's totally wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. Like back to the drawing board, right? That's correct. Not helpful. helpful, Even though that may be... (laughs) what we're feeling inside. That's the internal monologue. It sounds something like, hey, you know what? You mentioned something. I just want to clarify your source. I want to clarify that piece of information. My understanding is it's different, right? It's gentle. It's not confrontational. It's not shaming because we do want kids to be curious and we do want them to share with us what they know. And that's critical. And as they get older, they're actually going to share information with you and teach you things that you don't know. My kids teach me things that I don't know all the time. They teach me language. They teach me about new sort of social constructs that I I never even understood. I didn't, they weren't 
in my worldview. Right. If you shut down the conversation with your know-it-all, what you've done is not only have you ruined your information stream, but you've also pushed that know-it-all kid to go find another audience. Right. Right. And sometimes that audience is the school bus and sometimes that audience is the peer group and sometimes that audience is social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And it gets complicated for that kid. I also think it's really important, especially when you're having very personal conversations to remind all kids, but especially the know-it-all, that the conversation is internal. It's for for you. The way I say it is, I'm going to give you information that's accurate that information is for you. Your friends may not be ready for that information right, right. or their parents may not be ready for them to have that information. Yeah. I mean, we'll say like, you know, every family's on a different timeline talking about this stuff and we're going to talk about it now, but that's right. it's not your job to educate your friends. Yes. And so I'm going to share this with you, but we're going to keep this in the family. Not shaming, not no. saying no, that no, no, I'm no, no. telling you anything you shouldn't know, but just making it clear that every family is on a different timeline and we want to respect that. That's right. So let's do the opposite mm-hmm. of the know-it-all. I like to call it the turtle, the one who wants to crawl into his or her, into their shell and shut out the world and not hear and not respond. Right. I think turtles are misunderstood. I really do. I think just because they want to crawl into a shell and not make eye contact and not say a whole lot in the conversation, that has no bearing upon their interest in the Mm -hmm. subject matter. And their ability to absorb the information. Correct. And I think sometimes we mistaken their personality for disinterest Mm -hmm. and it's not. Right. And so it is incumbent upon us. And I happen to be someone with a lot of information who likes to chat, right? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No idea. That's why I have a podcast. Um, Who has a turtle child. Yeah. And it has taken me many years to hear that child when prompted say exactly what I have said over the past, whatever, 45 minutes in one succinct sentence, much better than I would have ever said it. He got it. Maybe I should do the podcast with him instead. I mean, he's really, you could just talk for an hour and then he can summarize in one minute. He should do all of our practical puberty takeaways. He really should. Yeah. It would go something like this. Um, (laughs) And And then he would say something really, you know, something brilliant. Um, Yeah. But I think the turtles are undervalued. I also think just because some kids are quiet and prickly about certain topics does not mean that's who they are outside of the home. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially as they evolve through puberty, a lot of these kids, if you were a fly on the wall watching them with their friends or at school or on a team, you would not recognize your own child. Right, right. Because they're fully out of their shell, right? So sometimes it's very situational and really helps if you've got a kid who's situationally withdrawing to find moments where you can communicate that won't make him or her withdraw even more. And I think, I like to say, if they haven't left the room, they're still listening. So (laughs) even if they are turned away from us, like lying on the couch, maybe even on their phones, 
petting the dog, if they are still in the room, they are still listening. And it may be those are the comfortable ways in which they can listen to complex and sometimes difficult information. Except on the phone. I mean, that one really drives me no, crazy. No, I know. And they know. But, but you're right. I mean, it's a way for them to la 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 their way through it a little bit, but yeah. it's coming in. It's, it's coming, coming in. in. And it doesn't, sometimes it takes longer. Yep. What about the kid, Kara, who, when we try to give them information, lashes yeah. out at us? We call, we're calling that one the aggressor. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think of that less as a stable, permanent sort of personality type mm. and more as all of these different kid types can have aggressor versions That's of themselves. That's a great point. Right? That's a great point. Um, especially if you have kids who are starting to individuate and try to separate from you, you really see the inner right. aggressor oh, come out. Mom! Uh, right, exactly. Or just, you know, the sky is blue. <sighs> sure <No>. it is. <laughs> okay, <know>. whatever <laughs> you say. Right. You always have to be right. Um, the aggressive response to a statement is a child's way of saying, I am completely done with this conversation. Now, if you have a kid who is wired that way most of the time, you are going to have to find ways in. And often, that, re in my experience, that requires the help of some sort of intermediary who can help that kid let people in. Mm -hmm. If it's just you, meaning if a coach is someone who can talk to that kid, if a cousin is someone who can talk to that kid, and it's just you... It becomes so emotionally charged because then parents feel like it's just rejected. me and I'm right. totally rejected, right? So you have to deal with the emotions that you're all bringing to the table there. But I would say very emphatically that if you've got a kid who's being an aggressor in the moment, I would push pause on the conversation right. and say, I'm going to come back when you're not. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to come back when you're not doing this. And as our friend, Dr. Lisa Pressman likes to say, all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. I said that at dinner last night. How'd it go? Kids, right. Not well. Okay. Right. It, it did not go well because I was trying to make it subtle. And so I interjected it into a conversation that had nothing to do with anything about feelings. Aww. And um, it did not go well. And then later in the evening, I sort of got one of them came back to me and went, oh, I know why you said that. And then it went really well. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It was very interesting. So, you know, sometimes we think... We're being subtle. Yeah, and we're, we're never not, subtle. We're not, and they know and they we're, pick it up. We're 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 never subtle. Okay, so let's we talk, have. You want to talk? Yeah, about let's talk about the sponge. The sponge. Okay, go. So some of us have children in our homes who would talk about puberty all the time when they wake up in the morning, at dinner, at bedtime. They are just hungry, hungry, hungry for it. And that can feel like a lot of pressure as a parent because like they're asking for the information. We are desperate. If you're exhausted and you need a break from talking about puberty, you can direct your kids to books that we love. All of Carr's books are amazing and wonderful. If they're like really science focused, there's a new Smithsonian book about the human body. There's a book, Human Body Theater. Obviously, the Care and Keeping of You series, guy stuff books. And a couple of my kids, when I need a break talking about this, I say, hey, you know what? Can you see if you can go find that answer in one of the books that we got? I do not direct them to the internet. I do not ask them to talk to Mr. Google. 
I have books and resources available. Thank at you home. for stripping Mr. Google of his his MD and his PhD there. Yes. He is not Dr. Yes. Google. And I gendered Yeah, you gendered him. I gendered him. him the Google. I'm, just the Google. The Google. The Google. Yeah. So for those kids, it's great for them to have books available to pour through when we need a little bit of a break. And I will say that all of these personality types that we're talking about in kids. It's the personality type of the parent plus the personality type of the kid that makes for an interesting um, sort of tricky navigation through all these. Right. So if you have an oversharing parent mm. and a spongy kid, sometimes that really works. Yeah. And right? you're never going to leave the house again. No, you guys are just going to talk about puberty <laughs> forever and you're going to have a podcast. If you've got a really nervous parent mm-hmm. who's parenting a spongy kid, sometimes that's really hard for both of them. Yeah. And so understanding who you are and who the child is becomes really important in terms of navigating these conversations. And also if you are parenting with a partner, if you have a a spouse or a partner or another adult who's living in your house, like feel free to delegate. Yes. Like this is not all on you. This is not all on the moms or all on the dads. Well, that is huge because I will say that a lot of parents will ask me, do we have to gender align? Mm -hmm. Does, you know, if, is a mom in charge of giving female body information and a dad in charge of it. No, 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 no. I mean, I can say, I don't know what it feels like to have a boner. Right. But short of that, all of these conversations are fair game for everyone. And kids are raised in all sorts of family structures. And there are plenty of homes in which there is not a gender alignment between the adult in the house and the kid in the house. And that works great. They could just have conversations. Right. So right. there is a version of the sponge that mm. I want to talk about. And that's the professor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's sort of the know-it-all, but not really, right? It's the kid who you give them a little fact and they dive deep. They're right? going to be the expert. They are going to be the expert yep. in that one little corner of right. whatever. And on the one hand, that's a really sort of a wonderful quality. On the other hand, you know, knowledge is power, but you you can't know everything about everything. And at a certain point, what I find is when kids are professorial and they really need to go deep on absolutely everything mm-hmm. you tell them, their time disappears. And then friendships might suffer or schoolwork might suffer or whatever because they're deep diving and all these things that they're passionate about and interested in, but often they're deep diving on the internet and other places. And I find that it can overtake them. So if you've got a very professorial kid who wants to take a deep dive occasionally or a deep dive when there is time and bandwidth, that is so wonderful. But if you find that your kid is unsatisfied with the amount of information he or she is getting and has to spend inordinate amounts of time to the detriment of other things. Mm. Uh, You may want to kind of get to the bottom of that and try to figure out what is it that he or she is searching for. Right. Um, And And are they, it's sort of like when first graders read the Harry Potter series, like are they being exposed to stuff that they don't understand? Right that's maybe not appropriate for them. Like we don't want to give our kids, we definitely don't want to give our younger kids free reign on the internet. Um, right. I also think, are they avoiding like engaging with other human beings by doing deep dives on these subjects? Right. And that's something to keep an eye on. The last one? Yeah, which we, you know, <laughs> as we could, both being the third of four children. We could, we could have a whole week on this. It's like the adults where we describe the, I never did this type right. as being, couldn't have any of the temperaments above. The same is true of this group, which we call the third, fourth, fifth, whatever child. And, you know, you can be a know-it-all and a, a younger sibling in a group of many. You can be an aggressor, you can be a sponge. 
But if you've got a lot of older siblings or cousins in the house or older influences that are just, you know, sort of within reach age range wise, you often know a lot more than your peers who don't have those people. And I am very very clear with kids who are thirds and fourths and fifths or growing up in big family homes that, again, they may know a lot, but they may not know as much as they think. Mm -hmm. And it is not their job to educate everyone around them. That having these conversations in their home openly is amazing. But just because they know things in the third or the fifth or the eighth grade that other kids don't does not mean it is incumbent upon them to go share all of that information with everyone in their class. Um, My little brother, Nick, when he was two, used to sit in the high chair. He's a fourth child and teach all of the kids in the neighborhood all of the profanity that he knew at two that they were learning at 10. So he's like the quintessential classic. Classic. So I want us to end with a practical puberty takeaway. Mine, I mentioned, and you so kindly wrote it down for me because I would have forgotten it. My practical takeaway is two-part. It's never too late to start talking about these things, no matter who you are and where you come from and what your comfort level is. And when you screw up, you always get a do-over. What's yours? Mine is that because it takes two to have a conversation and there are often two different temperaments or two different personality types coming into the conversation, it's as important to recognize the ways in which the two people communicate that's as important as the content that you're communicating about. That's great. I love that. I'm also going to remember that when I go home today. I'll write it down for write you. Write it down for me. Awesome. So professors, know-it-alls, turtles, super Sponges. eager beavers, oversharers, we see you all, we love you all, and we're just doing our best. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at the puberty at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out my or dynamogirl.com. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.